0: This is the Get Booked Podcast, a weekly show for personalized reading recommendations. This is episode 92, and we're recording on August 1st. I'm Amanda Nelson, and I'm here with Jen Northington, and we are coming to you from Book Riot and Jen's Closet.
1: (laughs) Seriously, guys, there's construction on my street, and there has been for weeks, and it's unpredictable, so there's no good time to record around it. So I am sitting in a chair inside of my closet with my mic in front of me on a stool, and the door is like half closed. And this is what's happening. This
0: is, <laughs> and the this cats is, are, are locked out. The, the
1: cats are locked out of the bedroom. Like, I don't know. This is life. This is podcast life if you don't have a recording space, <laughs> which I don't. Which none of us do, really. So, no. you know, there's that. Welcome to the unglamorous.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I record just like in my living room where my desk is. And so... 99% of the time, I'm like trying to prevent my dogs from walking around. The UPS guy is knocking. Like, it's just all very silly. Yeah,
1: no, I also record from my desk, typically speaking. And um, I, 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 it's not usually a problem. Like, as long as I have the window shut, you can't hear the birds. But this perpetual construction, uh, just construction forever, is apparently a thing that's happening now. So I don't know what to say. <laughs> How dare you? How dare?
0: People across the street. Yeah. So what we're reading now, I'll just go ahead and whatever. So I finally started When Dimple Met Rishi by Sonia Menon, which has been everywhere, um, which I love. I love that it's been everywhere. It's an adorable cover. So every time I see it, I get a little like, oh, that's cute. Um, and so this is like a, y, a new YA romantic comedy, just adorable, about... A girl named Dimple who goes to InsomniaCon, which is like a coding conference uh, over a summer before she starts college, and like her dream is to be a coder. She wants to develop, uh, you know, a really slick new app, um, and the prize is like the thing that you come up with. A famous female developer will help you do or help you produce it. So she goes off and uh, meets a boy named Rishi, who she immediately finds out is actually like her parents and their and his parents have arranged for them to be married and, like, no one ever told her. But they told him and he's, like, super into it. Like, he feels like this is his destiny and he wants to continue this tradition from their culture. And um, So he, like, wants to marry her and she is very un unreciprocating, those feelings. She doesn't want to get married. She does not want to have an arranged marriage, especially. Um, and so, you know... Fun romantic comedy shenanigans in the zoo with coding. It's fun. I'm enjoying it.
1: I did not realize that there was coding in that book. That makes me even yeah. more excited to read it eventually.
0: I know she's like a big. Um, she's just a nerd, Dimple. I love her. She's a total nerd. That's excellent. <laughs>
1: Um, I am reading *Cast in Shadow* by Michelle Sagara, which is the first in a series that I am getting into, actually on the recommendation of Elliot De Bedard, who did uh, that special fantasy show with us. Um, and it's about a woman who is now she's a hawk, which is like police. She's a police in this sort of magical world, um, and she grew up on the streets. And was the victim of some, like, weird magic attack? She's got these weird tattoos on her that are, like, left over from this magic attack. And she's got magic, but she has to hide it. And now it's, like, seven years later, and she's kind of grown up. And the attacks are starting again, and kids are dying. And, like, she has to figure out what's going on, and it's complicated, and politics. And there's, like, lion people, and bird people, and dragon people, and people people, and all kinds of stuff going on. So... Yeah, I'm enjoying it. Uh, So that is Cast in Shadow by Michelle Sagara. Good times. Uh, (laughs) Heyo.
0: All right, so how the show works. Like I mentioned before, this is a show for personalized reading recommendations, so you can email us your reading recommendation requests or drop them in the uh, form at the bottom of the show notes on the site. Um, They what am I saying? <laughs> what, what is a recommendation request? This is like if you've just read a book and you want something similar or you've hated it and you want something that's the opposite or you need, you need a gift idea for someone or something for your book club, anything like that, any sort of situation where you need a book recommended to you and you can't think of anything and the internet is not helpful, you can send it to us. Um, sometimes we will email you back if your question is time sensitive. We don't think we're going to get to it in time, so keep an eye on your uh, inbox for that. Also, we are adding... Uh, Maybe next week. I don't know. We'll see how it goes. Uh, Potentially, like a new feedback section to the show. Because, y'all, after we put the show up, we get like tweets and comments and emails um, from the listeners suggesting their own books for people's questions that. You know, Jen and I didn't think of, or we didn't have time to, because we limit ourselves to one selection per question. Um, and so, we're gonna shoo in a new quick section where we mention those uh, follow up recommendations from the listeners, because they're all like, they're always really, really great suggestions um, that we want people to have for additional reading purposes. So that is how the show works, and things that you can look forward to. Um, if you are on the insiders Slack book, right? Insiders, um, Slack channel, uh, forget booked y'all, y'all know you are constantly leaving suggestions and that's where I got this idea from cause they're always so perfect and amazing. So shout out
1: to the insiders. Yoo hoo. What, what? Uh,
0: okay. So let's get started. We will read our first question, talk about our first sponsor and roll on.
1: All right, our first question is from Jenny, who says, I'm about to set off for a year-long adventure as an au pair in Paris, so I have two requests. My first request is for book recommendations for the two girls who I will be taking care of. I would like to bring them something when I arrive, a shameless bribe, (laughs) and books are easy to transport. The older one is 10 and is an avid reader and has read the first Harry Potter book in English. Uh, She reads about the same as an American 10-year-old. I'd love to get her a chapter book so I can help her out so I can help out with her reading, and so she can feel super accomplished. She's a huge Harry Potter fan and also likes graphic novels. The younger girl is almost nine and reads more like a First-grader, she's not a reader, but will sometimes pick up graphic novels. I'd like to find something cool to strike up her interest in learning English, since according to her mother and previous au pairs, she understands spoken English but has a tough time reading and speaking it. She is much more active and likes sports and board games. My second request is, for me, I'd love some books to get me psyched up for the big move. Ideally, a fish-out-of-water story set in Paris, either fiction or nonfiction, is fine." All right. So before we give our picks for this, uh, we are going to tell you about our first sponsor, which is The Dark Net by Benjamin Percy. It is about, you might have heard of the dark net. there have been several books about it, um, an anonymous and often shady area, huh? get it, shady, uh, of the internet that exists sort of off the range of search engines, and you can only get there if you know where you're going. Well now, an ancient darkness is gathering there as well. Uh, it's a force that is threatening to spread virally into the real world unless it can be stopped by members of a ragtag crew. Uh, it's set in modern day Portland, or present day Portland, rather. And it's sort of a cracked mirror version of the digital landscape we already live in, plus some nightmares. Uh, So if you are interested in techno thrillers, uh, interested in thinking about, you know, what evil might be lurking in the Internet, because we're already pretty aware of that, I feel like. And uh, yeah, and, and but a sort of fantastical version of that. You should pick up The Dark Net by Benjamin Percy. I cannot, I was looking at this earlier and I was like, oh, it's like that episode of Buffy where there's <laughs> a where where Willow scans a demon into the internet. Do you remember yes, that yes. episode? I was like, ah oh, hey, something around a book. Uh, so you know, my interest is peaked. So again, that's The Dark Net by Benjamin Percy. Thanks so much for sponsoring the show.
0: Any and all Buffy Cops. I'm yes, here for it. <laughs> I'm here,
1: here for it. Here for it. All right, so we split
0: this question up. Uh, I took the Rex for the kids, and Jen took the one for the actual questioner. So I picked Roller Girl by Victoria Jameson, which I think would be great for both girls, for a 10-year-old and a 9-year-old. It's a graphic novel, like a middle-grade graphic novel, Um, and it's pretty easy... Reading, uh, but it is as the title implies about roller derby. So especially the nine year old who's into sports and things like that, I think will super enjoy it. So uh, the main character's name is Astrid. She's twelve, and she's got that she's got a best friend named Nicole. And you know that typical like preteen friendship where they're inseparable and they do everything together. And so Summer comes along, and Astrid signs up for roller derby camp because she like sees a, a program or something um, about. The sport. Uh, And she assumes that her best friend will come too and they're going to have a great summer. But Nicole, instead of doing that, signs up for ballet camp because that's what she wants to do. And she's going to ballet camp, a day camp with... um, I don't remember her name. I think it's Rachel or Rebecca or something like that. A A mean girl who basically is like bullied Astrid. And so Astrid feels very betrayed. She doesn't know how to really like operate in her day-to-day life without her best friend there because they've been inseparable for forever. So it is, you know, there's a lot of stuff in there about roller derby and you do learn the kind of ins and outs of that sport and how it works, which I didn't know anything about. Like I didn't know how, how you score points or anything like that. Um, but it is also very much about like young girls and that thing that happens when you've got, you've had a best friend in elementary school and then you're growing up and you're getting a little bit older and you start to kind of grow apart or pursue different interests and, and how to kind of navigate that. So that's pretty universal, I think, um, across languages and experiences. So yeah, so that's my pick, Roller Girl by Victoria Jameson.
1: For our asker, I picked Doubt Avocado by Helen Dundee. Um, Jenny mentioned that her favorite books are Triggers in Brooklyn, Station Eleven, and The Bone Clocks, which is like... Not the easiest thing to match up for a book about Paris, I'm not going to lie, but this is one of my favorite books that's set in Paris. It's sort of like a pre bridget Jones, Bridget Jones. Um, It's also a classic. It's been issued by the New York Review of Books classic line, which is, they're so beautiful and lovely, and it is about a young... American woman who goes to Paris in like the 1950s, late 1950s. So we're right on the cusp of like, you know, the 60s and hippydom, but we're not quite there yet. You know, the beats are kind of fading out. And Sally, who is the main character's name, is like, very much a girl about town like she's gonna go to the bar and drink with someone and maybe go home with someone like who knows and she's gonna have all this like wry commentary about the other people are there and she's gonna get into shenanigans that like Mm -hmm. leave her stranded without a passport like she's just gonna do her and it's gonna be a little bit wild and a little bit ridiculous and very entertaining and it's definitely got that fish out of water feel except for that she's so sort of like a little bit oblivious and very confident. So she's just like, ah, it'll be fine. Like, it'll all be fine. It's fine. It's, this is all fine. (laughs) And you're like, no, Sally, that's maybe not fine. Maybe not fine. Um, so yeah, super enjoyable. I read it with a book group, which was just a delight to talk about. And, um, I think you'll dig it. So obviously not present day, but it definitely has the sort of feel that you're looking for. And it will maybe, you know, give you some things not to do while you're there. I don't know. Just saying. Uh, So that's The Dead Avocado by Elaine Dundee. All right.
0: Question two is from Kate who says, I'm looking for some recommendations for my younger sister who's a bit of a reluctant reader but would like to read more because when she finds a book she genuinely loves, she can't put it down or stop talking about it. She likes historical fiction and in particular books that follow a woman's life over a long period of time. She prefers books set in the uh, far in the past, like 300 years plus to ancient history, and, and has expressed that she would like books that deal less with mainstream Western history. Two books that she really loved are The Red Tent and The Book of Negroes* by Lawrence Hill, and we both loved chatting about these books together. I'd love to pass along some more similar suggestions so we can do sister read-alongs and book chats. Okay, I picked a book that is... Western, but it is, I don't think, very mainstream. So uh, it's See What I Have Done by Sarah Schmidt, which Uh, came out today. So I just realized that maybe it wasn't out yet, but it is, it came out today. And so this is a uh, historical fiction novel about Lizzie Borden, (laughs) which I am obsessed with. Um, So if you, I don't know anybody who would be unfamiliar with Lizzie Borden, but in case you're unfamiliar with Lizzie Borden, um, she was a a single woman who lived with her sister, who was also a single woman, and her mother, her father and stepmother in Massachusetts. And her stepmother and her father were found murdered with an ax, uh, in the house, and Lizzie was, like, the only person there, I think, along with the maid. Um, she was tried and acquitted for the murder of her parents uh, because of a lack of um, physical evidence. And so this is a retelling of that true thing that happened. From the point of view of Lizzie, Bridget, who is the uh, a maid, their, their maid who uh, immigrated from Ireland, um, Benjamin, who's, like, this mysterious figure um, who arrives on the scene, and then Lizzie's sister, whose name I can't remember. Oh, uh, that's going to bug me. Emma? I think it's Emma. Um, so you kind of go, you know, the the murders were unsolved. It's sort of assumed that Lizzie committed the murders even though she was acquitted, but you're going into this book not really knowing if she's guilty or not. And Lizzie's perspective of that of that day and also of her uh, her life growing up is very skewed. Like she's obviously got some memory issues and is not like all in her right mind. Um, And it does follow her and all four characters over several years. Like you're flashing back a lot to uh, Lizzie and Emma's childhood growing up with their, their father who is very abusive and their stepmother who is also like Cinderella evil mean bad, not great person. Uh, And the family is like very respected in the community, which is one of the reasons why the murder was so shocking and that we still remember it today, but they have like most people do a lot of secrets and buried cruelties and hardships and, and things like that. So It is a story of Western history, but it's one specific case of, like, a a female murderer, which we don't get a lot of uh, in historical fiction. So, let's See What I Have Done by Sarah Schmidt. Out now.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I have kind of an author but also a book for you Um, the author is Indu Sundaresan apologies if I got that wrong and she has written a bunch of historical fiction Um, what I really wanted to recommend to you was the Taj Mahal trilogy which uh, follows the creation um, building of the Taj Mahal like in the 16th century Um, specifically the woman who it was built for but the library didn't have that so I was like, well, I should read something um, to make sure that the writing is as good as I think I remember it being, because I read one of these a long time ago, and it was. Uh, the one I picked up was The Mountain of Light, which is also a good one, although not quite as like deep... Um history as you were asking for but it's about the koh i which is this like giant diamond I mean it's real this giant diamond um and what she's done is sort of novelized the way that the diamond went from India to uh Britain and like is now part of the crown jewels of you know the Queen of England um and so she it's it's not a hundred percent all about women like there's major there's a major female character but you're also following um, two men who have been like a, a king who's been deposed and then his half-brother um, and then his wife and who is like playing this very intense game of diplomatic cat and mouse with uh, their captors and and like trying to like keep the diamond in the family but also using it as a bribe and like it's, it's all very complicated and political and there's a lot of players um, and I think that it will but it's also – really lovely historically speaking like you get it's it's almost got that dreamy quality it's not exactly dreamy in that like surreal things happen but you just feel like you're looking back and and you can see the historical setting and you can see what's going on and you can smell the smells like it's very immersive um her writing is just great so i recommend her to you both the one i've been reading is the mountain of light and that's Indu cinderacean Okay, next question is from Marie, who says, I've just finished the latest entry in Kristen Britton's Green Rider series and now have three to four long years to wait for the next one. I'm wondering if you can recommend me some woman goes on a quest-slash-journey through a fantasy land books to make the wait easier. While I don't mind a bit of pain and suffering on the way, I'm not a fan of relentlessly grim stories. I've already read everything by Robin McKinley, Tamara Pierce, and Tanya Huff. What you got, Amanda.
0: I went with a kind of classic for this one, "The Tombs of Atuan" by Ursula Le Guin, which is the is it the
1: second? Yeah, it's, yeah, the, it's second the second book in the
0: Earthsea cycle. But I don't really feel like you need to have read the first one necessarily, because the main character in the first one, Gud, is a wizard who's kind of just like a side character in "The Tombs of Atuan." So you don't. I don't know that you necessarily need to have read the first one. Um, maybe to get some of the like world stuff down, but even that isn't necessary, I don't think. Because this, as the name implies, takes place entirely underground in some tombs. So the main character, the the um woman traveling through the fantasy land who you're following here, his name is Tanar, and she is born was born on the night that a priestess in her community dies. So she they it's her community assumes that she is the reincarnation of this priestess. So she is given her job, which is guarding the tombs of Atchwan, So she like is essentially a very well cared for Slave, So she has to guard these tombs where, like, an ancient darkness lives, you know. And then if wanderers ever come into the tombs or um treasure hunters or explorers or anything like that, then she is in charge of, you know, kind of, like, wink, wink, nudge, nudge, taking care of it, which means, like, walling them, bricking them up in rooms in this huge labyrinth until they die. Like, she doesn't have to directly physically harm them. She just makes sure that they die of of, of exposure down there. And so her existence is very sheltered and it's, um, you know, very ritualistic. There's not much to it. She, she has some moral uh, and ethical issues with what she's required to do, but it's all that she's ever known. So that's kind of just how it is. Um, And then she meets Ged, who in his, who's the wizard from the first book, who in his like crazy Ged style adventures (laughs) ends up in this tomb and is like, you know, she's the guardian. So she's kind of after him. And then he sort of, um, wakes her up i guess to the reality of what's going on um with his his magic is like telling people their true names and so he kind of does a little bit of that to maybe uh, have her acknowledge that this she's not actually a free person that she's not doing this out of her own free will um and so the, like, land journey that she's going through is both, like, you know, personal, but it is also, like, a, a literal quest and journey through this huge, darkened labyrinth that's maybe possessed by some ancient evil. Eh, you know, who knows? So that's The Tombs of Atuan by Ursula Le Guin.
1: Cosign. So good. <laughs> uh, my pick for you is, I feel like The exact thing that you're looking for, and it's (laughs) Labyrinth Lost by Zaretta Cordova. So good. First in a series, and the second one doesn't come out until April, womp womp. Um, But it is about a girl, a teenager in Brooklyn uh, named Alex, who is part of a long line of witches, uh, or brujas. They... um, they're like sort of kind of underground but not even really that underground like in brooklyn like they're interacting with the world and they go to school you know she goes to school and she goes to the store where she gets her magical paraphernalia and it's all like very normal um but the thing about alex is that she doesn't want her magic and she's got a lot of it but all it has done has brought her like pain and misery and she just wants nothing to do with it and this uh celebration is coming up where she's supposed to really, like, come into her powers and claim them for her own. So she decides to use the ritual to cast a spell of her own to take all of her magic away. Except there that backfires dramatically and sends her entire family to this sort of underworld realm of Los Lagos, where they are now the captives of this, like, generations old enemy who's been plotting an evil return to the world of the living. And so she has to make her way through this fantasy land that she knows nothing about and try to use her magic that she also knows nothing about because she's been avoiding it to save her family. So it's intense. Um, There's amazing magical creatures. Like the world of Los Lagos is so beautifully imagined. There's so much going on. There's like, you know, Trickster creatures, and there's, you know, people with wings, and there's all kinds of, you know, pitfalls and obstacles, and weird swamps and rivers that are deadly, and all of that good stuff. And I will say that it ends on a pretty solid note and then there's this like cliffhanger. So if you can't stand waiting for another book in the series, Oh, but you're mid series anyway. So you're fine. You're already doing this thing. (laughs) So here's another one for you (laughs) to get hooked on. Yeah. Welcome to the cliffhanger at the end of book one. Like, sorry, not sorry. Um, but yeah, it's exactly what you're looking for. Alex is a great main character. She's going on a quest that is both personal and like literally a quest. Um, um, and there's a great I, – I, there's a love shape in this book that I was really surprised by and really enjoyed. Like, I don't always like the love shapes, but this one had a good one. So that is Labyrinth Lost by Zoraida Cordova.
0: Okay. Question four is from Christy, who says, I'm looking for fiction or even nonfiction recommendations for books involving scientists and adventure. I've read The Signature of All Things and The Lost City of Z and really enjoyed both of those. I've also read The Unseen World. Books similar to that are also welcome. I love science and history, so anything historical is also a bonus. Okay, again, I went with another classic for this one which I did not read until I was an adult but loved so much and that is Journey to the Center of the Earth by Jules Byrne who is just, (laughs) writes the most like ridiculous, rollicking- Goofy science adventures. I mean, I'm sure if you've heard of you know, twenty thousand leagues under the sea and all of that. Um, so in Journey to the Center of the Earth, Professor Leidenbrock is the main character, and he is going on a very nineteenth century expedition. Like it just feels so Victorian. He wants to climb down an extinct volcano in Iceland to the Earth's core and just kind of see what he can see, you know, like as one does. So he takes his nephew. And they have a guide, like a local guide who's going to help them get down into the volcano like you do. And then the book is just them exploring the center of the earth, like climbing down into the volcano, finding like dinosaurs and weird, like completely insulated communities and all of this. Like it's just a menagerie of prehistoric stuff. That's happening. Um, and so I really like this book. You know, it's a, it's very of its time. And it's such a snapshot of, like, before the word science was even really a thing. It was, like, what did they call it? Natural natural history or natural s- studies or something like that. Um, anyway, but it was, like, they didn't call them scientists. They called them, like, naturalists and things like that. And uh, it's just, it's, like, fun and very snapshotty of what people thought um, was truth in this period of you know scientific endeavor and scientific uh discovery or not discovery but it's also a disney movie like it's a disney movie in book form which is just great it's just a lot of fun so that's journey to the center of the earth by jules verne
1: i picked a book for you that's a little more technology and history and like philosophy and history so not exactly science, but I think it will suit what you're looking for. It is A Guide for the Perplexed by Dara Horn. This book is long and weird, I will say. <laughs> like, that is your, like, fair warning. It's long and weird, but I loved it. It's about two sisters, um, one of which is a software prodigy, uh, Josie, who has invented this app that logs everything you do all the time Not for, like, nefarious purposes, but for the purposes of creating a, a, like, a living archive of your life. And so it's, it's supposed to be, like, you know, for, like, where did I leave my keys? Like, the archive knows. Like, when did my daughter lose her first tooth? Like, the archive has all of this stored, all, every little thing is in there. And she gets invited to go to Egypt to consult with a library because obviously, like, libraries and scholars are very interested in this kind of, you know, personal archive for, you know, purposes of posterity. Um, So she goes, except that Egypt is going through, like, you know, not great political situation, and she's abducted, which is not super uncommon, but, like... She's abducted, and so her sister Judith ends up moving in with uh, Josie's husband and daughter to try to help out and, like, figure out, like, how are they going to get her back? What do the kidnappers want? And in the meantime, there's a parallel storyline from a century earlier of a Cambridge professor who's, like, hunting for a medieval archive in a synagogue in Cairo, Um, and he is obsessed with the philosopher Moses Maimonides, who was a medieval philosopher, um, who was, like, a a medical doctor, but also, you know, a deep thinker trying to reconcile faith and science and all of this stuff. Um, And then there's also the sort of Maimonides-like section. So there's a lot of interesting thought and academic history woven into this story of, like, a family and a woman who's been kidnapped for her, basically for her software and trying to figure out, like, what... What is all of this got to do with each other? What is going to happen next? And it is, there's some really heartbreaking moments. There's some really interesting moments. Like I had a lot of... I had a lot of deep thoughts, for lack of a better phrase, after reading this book. I was like, "Ha! Huh, what does it all mean?" Like that's the, this is the kind of the book that it is. So, if that sounds interesting to you, I think you'll really dig it. It's a guide for the perplexed by Dara Horn.
0: Okay, time for our second sponsor, which is Impossible Views of the World by Lucy Ives. This is published by Penguin Press. So, this is a debut novel about how to make it through your early thirties with your brain and your heart. Intact information, I'm sure a lot of us could. (laughs) So, I am 32. Um, So, the main character's name is Stella. She's a curator at Manhattan's renowned Central Museum of Art. And she's having a terrible week. So, her soon-to-be ex-husband, whose name is Wit. Giscombe, <laughs> which I just love, WIT, W-H-I-T, W-H-I-T uh, and he's described as perfectly awful, um, is stalking her, so that's not great. She's having a workplace romance with a fascinating but hyper-rational narcissist, and that is not going well. And worst of all, her beloved colleague Paul has gone missing. So um, the, the like friend that she has in this life is gone. Uh, And so then there's the appearance of a mysterious, uh, the appearance of a mysterious map that depicts a 19th century utopian settlement that she has to contend with and the discovery of an additional unbearable secret. So there's a lot going on. Her life is kind of falling apart. Her best friend is gone. Her professional life is in uproar and there's a mystery to solve. So if any of that sounds like your jam, then go check that out. It's Impossible Views of the World by Lucy
1: Ives. And thank you for sponsoring the show. All right. Oh, it's you. It's me. The next question is from Sarah, who says, my older brother is an enthusiastic reader and I read all the time. He still lives in our hometown in rural Wisconsin and I live in Boston. We recently started building an adult relationship by talking about books. I want to introduce him to more diverse books. His favorites are To Kill a Mockingbird and Lonesome Dove. We read The Winter of Our Discontent together and he loved it. He takes his time reading, so it has to be something that will keep him interested over time. I want to expose him to more women slash POC authors without alienating him. Well, so I'm going to use our last uh, use of Behold the Dreamers by Mbolo <laughs> Mbue because I think this is perfect for you guys. Um, it is is a contemporary novel about an immigrant family who are living in Harlem. They're from Cameroon, and they have come to make a better lives for themselves, like you do. Uh, and so, uh, Jende, who is the man in the in and so it's Jende, and then his wife and uh, Nenny, and then they have a son. And Jende gets a job as a chauffeur for a high-powered executive at Lehman Brothers. So this is like 2007. And his wife gets, you know, some work at their summer home, and the two families get very intertwined together. And then the collapse happens, the financial collapse happens. In the meantime, Jende's visa is under review, and there's some concern that he will not get it, Uh, renewed and they will not be able to stay in America and there's just there's it's one of those I I think the Steinbeck comparison is not unapt like it's a very it's a very in-depth look at people's lives and how they become intertwined through circumstances and then also like how complicated life can be when you have you know like problems of, you know, residency, and then also there's these financial problems, and then there's these emotional problems that are just, like, coming out of the woodwork, um, and it, it, yeah, it's like a really amazing snapshot of the people's lives who she's portraying in this book, uh, and, and it's and it's an Oprah pick, so that's nice too, but um, I think it's because it, it has, you know, a white family and then an immigrant family, there's a balance here, and it's not like cookie cutter, nobody is a, you know, sort of a caricature of themselves, like she really takes the time to build every character thoroughly, and whether or not you like any of them is kind of not the point. So that's Behold the Dreamers by Mbolo Mbue.
0: Okay, my pick for you is Four Souls by Louis Erdrich, which I selected because it's not terribly long. So if he has, if he takes his time reading and isn't like a, an avid reader, then that might be helpful. Um, and also, it deals with some themes of racial injustice, like To Kill the Mockingbird does. But it also has that frontiery sort of pioneer feel of Lonesome Dove. Um, so I think it'll hit a couple of different things that he seems to enjoy. So you're following. it. Also, it's it's like kind of Count of Monte Cristo is in that like deep. Slow burn revenge kind of tale. So you're following Floor, who is the last member of a Native American tribe who's like the sole survivor of a small po- smallpox outbreak. Um, and the last thing that she has that like connects her to her family and to her people is this land that was supposed to be left to her. It's these untouched forests that are on an island in the center of one of the Great Lakes. I don't remember which one. Um, that is said to, like, be haunted and all of this sort of thing. She's lost the land to a timber baron, uh, and the timber baron's name is John. And so she has decided to exact her revenge on John. Um, So she leaves her daughter into the state, to, like, a state-run Indian school that's supposed to, you know, like, civilize the youth of the indigenous tribes. Um, She changes her name, and she walks out of her reservation into Minneapolis um, to find this white man and, like, take her vengeance on him. So she gets a job in his house as a laundress. He doesn't know who she is, um, but what she finds is that John, who was a veteran of World War I, he served in France, is, like, racked with PTSD and is completely not the uh, foe, the, like, formidable foe that she thinks that he is. He's um, kind of just this, like, rack of a man. And so she decides that, like, murdering him, basically, at this point, would be really unsatisfying because he's just this broken thing this broken shell of the of the um you know the foe that she imagined so she starts like nursing him back to health because so she can kill him basically which is this very complex uh plot of vengeance um that you follow and then there are a bunch of not a bunch but there are a few a little bit less heavy side plots occurring at the same time but but this like watching floor walk like by herself all of these miles to get her vengeance on this man who turns out to be like, and then she has to save him and it's it's like so complicated and interesting and it's such a fascinating story. Um, so, yeah, I think that that would make a good uh, kind of buddy read. So that's Four Souls by Louise Erdrich. Is it me? It's me. Mm-hmm. Uh, wrong tab, wrong tab! Okay, question six is from Sasha, who says... Um, I've always enjoyed reading out loud. With my parents, I've read the entire Harry Potter, Harry Potter series and many Jasper Fjord books and found them especially enjoyable to share because of the humor. However, I'm now in a relationship with a man who's not really a book person. He's indulged in my interest in reading to him, but we haven't found many books that appeal to him. We enjoyed The Cheese Muggies by Chip Kidd and Daisy Fay and the Miracle Man by Fanny Flagg. I wanted to revisit Jasper Ford with him, but he is vehemently opposed to all things fantasy and science fiction, even magical realism. Any suggestions for books that would have that kind of smart Jasper Fjord humor, but be more grounded in the real world? Um, You go, Jen.
1: Yeah, so this is where I picked a classic. (laughs) (laughs) Taking a page from Amanda's book. Uh, And it is Three Men in a Boat by Jerome K. Jerome which I actually first picked up because it was the inspiration for To Say Nothing of a Dog by Connie Willis, which does have, like, time travel and stuff, but Three Men in a Boat does not. Um, It is about three men, surprise, who are in a boat. Also, surprise, (laughs) (laughs) Um, they're just, like, three English bros who decide to take a jaunt up the Thames. Uh, They're going to, like... You know, have have a nice little boating outing together. But of course, that's not what happens. Um, they are not the best at managing the boat. There is some weather issues. There are some food issues. And then they have brought one of their uh, one of the men's dogs named Montmorency with them, which is not going to turn out well for anyone. Uh, and it is just like a very. It's like a it's like a it's like a set piece, like a like a like a three hundred page sketch comedy, I guess is how I wanna say it. Oh, not even, it's like two hundred pages, it's short. Um, and it's just it's just delightful. Like it's that sort of doofy, you know, like woodhouse or um that kind of humor, that very British humor, which I think Jasper Ford has in spades. Uh, and and it's also, you know, it's his like a little bit historical, right? Because you're looking at this late Victorian clerking class and like, what did they do for fun? They got in a boat and went up the Thames. Like, this is what's happening in this book. So I think it would be a really enjoyable re- reading experience. There's a lot of like silliness and some farce and some puns and, you know, ridiculous dog adventures. Like, it's got all of these just enjoyable little moments. Romans packed into it and also you could attempt an accent while you read it if you were feeling adventurous like that might be entertaining <laughs> so that's three men in a boat by jerome k jerome
0: okay i went with an author instead of a particular book and that author is david sedaris and my notes that i have here say david sedaris literally anything who cares <laughs> and that is accurate um probably his most well-known book, I guess, would be Me Talk Pretty One Day, um, which is like a collection of essays uh, about his move from Paris to New York and New York to Paris. I don't remember which. Uh, I don't remember which way he's going, but it's about crossing the Atlantic. Um, and the title essay is about like trying to learn French from a, a, a teacher who is turns out to be kind of a sadist. But all of his books, all of his nonfiction essay collections are just hilarious. And they're all about like the most mundane stuff like getting your first apartment or ordering, you know, coffee at a Starbucks behind a couple from the Midwest who don't know how to operate a Starbucks menu and just all of these very, um, day-to-day life kind of things that the way that he words it and his observations are, I don't even know if you could like, if you can get through reading out loud any of his essays with another human being without having to stop to laugh sob, I will be impressed with you as as a as a person with like an iron will. Um he's just he's just funny like I don't even know. And so if you if you like if you read this out loud with your fiance um and uh I, you know I'm trying to think if like If it would be better to try to read it out loud or just sitting down together and listening to him read it on an audiobook would be better. I don't know which would be better. Uh, That's
1: a good idea, though.
0: Yeah. Like, if you want to try exploring uh, audiobooks with your fiancé instead of, like, you sitting down and doing the reading, then these would also be good for that. But anything David Sedaris has written, any of his nonfiction essay collections, Me Talk Pretty One Day probably being the most well-known. That is my suggestion.
1: I forgot. I had two things to say to Sasha. One is congratulations. You mentioned (laughs) that the relationship has turned into engagement. That's excellent. Uh, Literally since the first time you submitted the question. Sorry about that. (laughs) Uh, um, And also I'm going to leave in the show notes. There's this – when I was thinking about this question, I was doing some Googling. And Slate put together a flowchart that is funny books chosen by funny authors, and so they, like, start with one author who recommends a book, and then they go to the author of that book, and they recommend another book, and it's actually a really delightful, both, like, piece of art and a list of really hilarious books, so I'm going to leave you the link for that in the show notes. Okay, our next question is from Heidi, who says, I recently read Malinche, Malinche? By Laura Esquivel, sorry, in advance. Uh, And while I wasn't actually a big fan of it, her writing style just didn't do it for me. It left me hungry for more historical fiction that takes place in Mexico and Central America. I would love books that are pre-Columbian by which we have decided you mean pre-Columbus. Preferably written by people who are Latinx and where the place slash culture is a character, any suggestions would be greatly appreciated. You can go, Amanda. Okay, um,
0: this is south america not necessarily central america but whatever um, so i went with a Nace of my soul which is by isabel allende and i hope that the pre-columbian assumption that we're making here is correct because that's what i went with it's the one that made the most sense to us when we were trying to figure it out so um so a Nace of my soul is about shocker a woman named Ines, who's born in, uh, in Spain, poor. She's a seamstress, married. Uh, this is like the 16th century, kind of at the beginning of the Spanish conquest of all the, you know, the Americas. Um, she's married. Her husband is a little bit worthless. He goes off to the New World and leaves her there. And she kind of doesn't hear from him. He disappears. And she uses that disappearance as an excuse to, to, like, hop, skip, and jump and get out of her situation and seek, you know, her own grand adventure. So she goes off ostensibly to air quotes, find her husband uh, and ends up in Peru. She finds out that her husband is dead. He died in a battle. So she is now stranded (laughs) in uh, Peru by herself and uh, a widow um, with what is she supposed to do now? So she starts a love affair with a man named Pedro, who is a field marshal field marshal for Francisco Pizarro. And the two of them become this like power couple. Um, They, he, her, Lover Pedro, his like dream is to become the conqueror of Chile. And so the two of them um, kind of set themselves up in this goal of building up Santiago, which is a new city, which of course exists now. And they go on to wage a horrible bloody war against the indigenous Chileans. And so the book is both about that struggle between the Spanish conquerors in Chile and the indigenous peoples, and also about... Ines, this, like, woman who goes off in search of her own adventure and ends up in this huge bloody mess uh, with someone that she loves, who is but who is kind of a psychopath a little bit. So um, I think that that is kind of exactly what you're looking for, I hope. And Isabel Allende is amazing. I love everything I've ever read by her. Um, and so, yeah, that's my story. So that's Ines of My Soul by Isabel Allende. Oh, and it's translated by Margaret Sayers Pedden.
1: So this is a hard one. <laughs> I, I I was I like went looking for something new to read and I had a really hard time finding anything that took period or took place in the time period you wanted, that was also written by a Latino or Latina author. Um, and so I went with something that I read uh, that is pre-Columbian but not by a Latino specifically. Um, it's Servant of the Underworld, which is the first in the Obsidian and Blood series by Elliot Bedard. I did just mention her, didn't I? Um, She is of Asian heritage, um, and she has written about writing outside her own culture, specifically in the context of these books. And I'm going to leave a link to that in the show notes for you to review to decide if you want to look into it. But this is the first book in a series that takes place in – okay – Before I start talking about this, I apologize in advance. I am not going to get these names right. I'm so sorry. I'm doing my best. Um, But so Servant of the Underworld takes place in Tenochtitlan, which is the capital of the Aztecs, which is now, right, Mexico City or thereabouts. Um, so it takes place way back during the Aztec Empire and it follows a high priest named Acatl who, ha- he's basically like an Aztec priest detective. Like these are murder mysteries set in um, the Aztec capital and also concerning the political structure of the capital. So there's like politics and backstabbing and whose side is who on and also like a lot of blood and and then there is an element of fantasy to them so there's like, there's, like a bit of magic because the Aztec religion was um, deeply concerned with human sacrifice and blood and like the world of the dead versus the world of the living so there's there's a bit of it's not like a hundred percent it's not realistic historical fiction but she did research and you feel like you're getting a glimpse at the civilization that you know we don't have much literature about these days. So, um, I think it might work for you. I think it might be an interesting read. Um, I've read the first one. I haven't read the whole series, but I really did enjoy the first one. And, uh, yeah, so that's, that's what I'm going with. So (laughs) that's Servant of the Underworld by Aliette de Bedard. And, oh, it's you. Yeah. Okay. Our last question
0: is Anonymous and Anonymous says, I have recently finished an advanced degree and I'm starting my own business. Thanks to some major hits to my self-confidence and some pretty significant imposter syndrome, I'm finding myself hesitant to move forward. I need to feel inspired. and need a major confidence boost, but I can't stay in self-help books or anything that sounds like a self-help book. I need to be inspired, not just told that I should be inv- inspired or fed a bunch of woo-woo. I hate, pray, love, with the passion, hotter than a thousand suns if that helps. I'm open to fiction or nonfiction. Please help me find something to distract me from wondering who actually gave me a law degree and a license, and that will make me feel worthy." Okay, um, I went with a new release. I think it just came out in the U.S. Um, this year. Was it in July? Yeah, it just came out in the U.S. in July. Um, and it's called Girl Up. It's by Laura Bates. And this is kind of a feminism, 101, girl powery sort of nonfiction book. And the reason that I picked this is because I think imposter syndrome is a very female feeling not to say that guys don't get imposter syndrome but this feeling that it, this feeling that you don't belong in a professional space despite the fact that you're qualified uh, and know what you're doing seems in my experience to be uh, more common among women than among men. Um, and so I think that a good anecdote to that would be a book that is funny and fun, and that will help you combat some of the garbage, basic nonsense that women are told about themselves. And that's what this book is about. So there, like, there's an entire chapter called "Sluts, Unicorns, and Other Myths and Mythical Creatures" that's about like the, you know, the uh, the Madonna horror complex and how the double standard where men are allowed to be studs but women aren't allowed to uh, experience sexual pleasure. Um, there's like a an entire double page spread of. A a colorable vagina, uh, lots of stuff about like women and mental health, um, things that we're told to believe about our bodies. There is an entire chapter about, um, the things that women are told, like how we're told to behave in the workplace and how we're supposed to not be bossy or shrill or, um, any of those kinds of things because we come across as too aggressive, um, when men do that and it's, you know, they're winners and they're go-getters and it's completely acceptable. Um, so if you are experiencing feelings of like, you have all these qualifications, you've gotten this advanced degree, you know how to do the job, but you don't feel like you're worthy. That's probably not real, right? Like that's probably not, um, based on the facts of your qualifications. It's how women are often told to feel about our, um, place in the workplace, quote unquote, and like whether or not we deserve to have a seat at these very professional, at these like professional, professional high power tables when very, I mean, obviously you do, you've done the thing, you started your own business, you have an advanced degree. So, um, I think maybe, you know, taking a Sharpie to a double spread vagina on a page and reading about how women kick butt and the things that we've been told about how we don't are trash might be a little bit helpful. So that's Girl Up by Laura Bates.
1: And we're assuming that this asker is female, although... I just realized we don't know for sure. But that's okay. Um, That book is awesome. So my pick for you is Grit by Angela Duckworth, which is all about how it's not necessarily the most talented people who make it big. It's the people who have the most grit or persistence, which I find a super helpful concept because, like, talent, I mean, it's just such... Such a moving target. Like, sometimes, like, you feel like you have it, and sometimes you feel like you don't. And you, like, what is the yardstick? It's just crazy. Um, And that, to me, is one of the things that feed into imposter syndrome, at least in my own experience, and so uh, this idea that it's not like, you know, you're born with this innate ability to do the thing, like, no, you just keep going, you keep trying, you 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 put in the work, you put in the time, um, which you, again, clearly have done, because you have a law degree and a license, like, you put in the work to get there, you did that thing, like, you have done that thing, you persisted, and now you've got those things. Um, so you do, you know, belong there. And, uh, and so, but it's, uh, Angela Duckworth is a psychologist, um, and so she is... Is looking at like parents and athletes and students and business people and all of these different people and as well as her own life as the daughter of scientists uh, to look at how persistence and determination can change your life and make your career it's not that you need some kind of crazy like prodigious talent to make it big like no you just need to stick with it which it sounds like is a message that might be helpful for you right now so that is grit by angela Duckley.
0: and that's our show Huzzah. <laughs> yeah, you get to leave the closet now. <laughs> <laughs>
1: I know. It's warm in here. I'm not going to oh. lie. Like it is warm in this closet.
0: <laughs> All right, we'll wrap up fast. So okay. So thanks for listening. Please go leave us a rating and a review on Apple Podcasts. Thank you so much to our sponsors for sponsoring the show. You can find us on social media. I'm at I'm Amanda Nelson on Instagram. Jen, where are you?
1: Yeah, you can find me on Tumblr. It's jenirl.tumblr.com, jen with two n's. If you
0: have any additional suggestions for any of these questioners, just let us know. You can send them to us on Twitter or in the comment section of um, the post for the show um, or leave Facebook comments, whatever. And we will mention them next week and we will talk to you all later.